Here, come on. Here we go. Good morning, church. <clears throat> no one online heard that without a mic, I'm sure. <clears throat> you guys heard two good mornings, and I meant both of them. Goodness gracious. <clears throat> I can tell you this. If you've never uh, uh, played a guitar and sang, that part is relatively easy. It's usually put together quite well. The words line up with the beats. You don't necessarily have to think. You just have to say what's on the page. But praying while you're playing the guitar or the piano, that's a whole different thing. Because <laughs> you've got to think about what you're going to say and put words together. And you can't really sing it. Um, so anyway, it's a struggle. We got through it because God's good and took care of me there. But boy... That was a lot harder work than you'd think just to play, play a little bit of guitar and pray at the same time. Great to see everybody. We're still in 2 Corinthians uh, today. Uh, we'll do, be doing things a little bit different today. Uh, first of all, I want to make mention, this is week two of our slightly upgraded technology. Uh, I know we had some, some faults last week, a couple crashes. Uh, hopefully this week it's going well so far. We got a thumbs up. Has it crashed? No? Thumbs up? Not for... Okay, good. So it's good. It seems like it's stable this week. That's great. We did a couple more updates. And hopefully it's good. If you're watching at home and it suddenly dies, stay tuned. It'll be back. As usual, my daughter Emma's up there uh, scrambling about trying to keep things afloat for those that aren't joining us here in person. We're glad that you're watching online. And obviously, we hope that you get an opportunity here to learn a lot about the God. Also, if uh, a lot about God, not the God. Well, I guess he's the God, but anyway, to learn about God and his word. Um, one last thing I want to mention, if it seemed like I was distracted, there is a gorgeous young lady over here that was making eyes at me while I was singing. It was very difficult, but uh, I got through it. Sorry, honey. I know. I understand. You were just looking, but anyway, cute as a button. It's wonderful to have the, the little ones in the service with us. And uh, with that, let's jump on in. Like I said, Second Corinthians will be in 12. I called this one Visions and Thorns and Apostleship. Oh my. Um, there's a lot going on when we get into these chapters, and it feels maybe like Paul's being frenetic. One of the biggest benefits of us going through this in order is I, I pray you're seeing and feeling the connections between chapters, how it's a letter. It wasn't just a bunch of random thoughts that we've compiled into a book. This is a letter Paul wrote to people, and he's connecting a lot of thoughts together, the dangers of, of false teaching and how that uh, plays into our boastfulness and how those false teachers might manifest their false teaching to get themselves, I guess, put into a position of power to be able to lead, right? A teacher implies that they're doing something. I'm teaching you something, but what I'm teaching you is wrong. Well, if they're not compelling, no one's going to listen to them teach and they're no threat. Clearly what we're dealing with here are some conniving people that are, have made themselves available in that regard. So we'll jump in. We'll read 2 Corinthians 12. If you've got a Bible, feel free to follow along. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. Here we go. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But not on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weakness." Though of it I should wish to boast, though I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore... I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of my churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and I got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and for all and all for your upbuilding. For I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish, and that you may not find me as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned early and have not repented of their impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words that are are very challenging. Obviously, Paul challenging the church of Corinth, Lord, but we know that this is you challenging us and wanting us to understand how best we practice what we preach. It's one thing to say that we believe, and it's quite another to know what we believe, and it's quite another to live what we believe, Lord. And the better that we do at spending time in your word and learning this, the truth, the real gospel, the easier it will be for us to detect counterfeit and steal ourselves and those that we care about in our congregations and families and communities from those that are bringing a false gospel, that are, are looking for their own glory and not for your glory, Lord. Thank you for this time together. It's in your sense of my prayer. Amen. All right, let's jump on in. Paul must go on boasting. For someone that talks a lot about not boasting, he seems to boast quite a bit. Remember, the last chapter, this is all tongue-in-cheek. What Paul's trying to do is set an example for them of what real Christian boasting would look like. How do you boast in the Lord without boasting about yourself? The Lord gave me a new car, and the Lord gave me a beautiful wife, and the Lord gave me this and that. Like, you're kind of boasting about your life, not really the Lord. Paul's like, yeah, that's fair. Let's boast about what the Lord did for me. He broke Paul's back and caused suffering and this and that and the other. You want to boast about that? That's not really boastworthy. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. If you want to hear me boast, it's not going to sound like good boasting. It's not. But that's the boasting that we're supposed to be about. Through that, people understand more about who God is, what God's doing, what God expects from his people, and how he'll provide for those people. It seems confusing. If it does, remember that Paul's a man. This is divinely breathed, right? But Paul is communicating as a man with other people. And he's using things like, I'm a fool by by saying this. Let me be sarcastic. Let Let me posit a situation that's absurd to try to help them understand by an extreme comparison how nonsensical their approach and their belief in these false teachers are. He is writing with divine breath. I'm not trying to say that, that, that Paul's interjected this with something of mankind that God just has to deal with. This is divine. This is breathed by God. But it is written by a man. Jesus was God, but he was also a man. He had to cut his toenails. He had to wash his body. If he didn't, he would smell bad and he would get ingrown toenails. He was a man. 
It wasn't divinely protected from all the things of this world, nor is the Scripture. It's another one of those just marvelous mysteries, is how a man could write his words down and have those be God's words. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And we, we take it as such. But when we study it and understand it, it's helpful to remember that, you know, some dude wrote this. Now, that some dude is Paul, but still. And he's trying to make his point about boasting clear. He's really not encouraging people to boast. But if you want to boast, here's how we'll boast. And which makes everybody's eyes roll because this is some of the worst boasting ever. Been there, done that. Visions? Yeah, Paul's had visions. And then uh, the Hecox Standard Version. I mean, this guy I know, he had a vision, right? He goes on this tale about a man that I know and God, this and the other. But in verse 7, he kind of gives it away that he's talking about himself. Um, as, as clever as he may want to be. In verse 7, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, the thorn was given me in the flesh. Like, wait a minute, I thought it was some guy you're talking about. Like, uh, er, right. But what Paul's positing here is, if we read between the lines, we hear what he's talking about in the last chapter. Clearly what's happening here is they're writing to him and saying, well, these guys had visions, Paul. They said God gave them some, some words and some new revelation to share with us about a, a mystery of God that they've uncovered and a way that we should worship him that he would prefer. And it's not written down. No one's ever seen it except for them. So that must mean something really important. And Paul's answer is right here saying, yeah, I, we've all had visions. My visions, yeah, I saw something that blew my mind, what I think may have been heaven. Was I in my body? Was I out? I don't know. But by the end of this, I understood that I was not supposed to share this. This was something given to me, a revelation, an encouragement to me from God. Can God give Christians visions today? Absolutely, 100%. Will God bring new revelation to the world through a Christian today? Unheard of revelation. It's never come from the Word. Net new. He will not do that. The Bible is closed out. God has made it very clear. And there's a lot of theology that backs this up. There's no time to get into it now. But, but even in Paul's time, you had folks that were revelating. I've got new news. I've got a new way. God wants us to all wear a certain colored robe. And he told me that in a vision. They're like, oh, and you're very well-dressed and very well-mannered and you're very learned. This must be true. Paul's saying, no, it's not true. That's not the kind of visions God gives you. That's the visions God gave me, I'm not even sharing them. Because if I did, you'd think that I was something special, and I am not something special. Paul wants them to know the truth. God told Paul, don't share this. You might disagree. You might think, it seems like Paul chose not to share. It seems like Paul just decided, yes, he did. Why? Because God convinced him. Paul reasoned out that this was not something to be shared. God put a thorn in his side as a reminder of who he was, how weak he was, that he is not special. This vision is for Paul, and he shouldn't be using it to make himself any more than he is. But Paul bases his reason on that. This is what God has shown me very clearly, thus it is the truth, and that's what it's supposed to be. I didn't even want to bring this up, but since you guys are going to talk about their visions and how great they are, I'm telling you, that's a red flag. That's no indication that they're godly. That's an indication that they are conceited. My vision has been put into my brain and has been sealed there by God insofar as God has given me a thorn in my side as a reminder of the vision and that where, where I rank in regards to this, to this vision. Barred until now. <laughs> so Paul, Paul's finally going to boast. Yeah, he's going to boast in his weakness. Paul knows that this thorn is there to remind Paul of Paul. 
your, my vision, the revelation that God gave Paul, whatever he showed him, is great. I'm, I can't imagine what it's got to be like. Probably going to find this out in heaven. What was it? Oh, yeah, it was this. <laughs> I got to see a little taste of this. It was incredible. Oh, how cool. Paul was not great. The revelation, the vision, incredible. Paul, a man. Well, that's exactly what Paul's trying to communicate here. If God gives you a vision, it's going to be something that's going to encourage you, maybe encourage you to encourage others. But he is not going to be giving people visions to bring net new knowledge to the world of Christianity. Oh, I had no idea how to interpret that. This is how God feels about this or that or the other. Oh, that's great. Yeah, he told me in a vision. And now I know the truth, and I'm going to tell you the truth. So come with me, and we're going to build a whole ministry around this, this thing that only I know about. Uh, danger. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Big time. Paul knows what's going on here. These guys are doing this every day. If I came into a room and I said, hey, uh, believers, look how charismatic I am. They said, like, that's pretty good. God said we are going to raise $15,000 in three months to do something extraordinary in this community. People will say, really? Well, I want to be part of something that God's doing. And you said God gave you a vision. Wow, that's my kind of thing. To us, I hope you think, well, that's a red flag. I'm not going to start writing a check for that. Good for you. Good for you. Don't take my word for it. It's what the Word says. But there are tons of people doing that right now in America. They are listening to somebody who's convinced them that they know something special from God that you don't know. I've got secret knowledge, and let's do something about it. It's exactly what these false teachers are doing in Paul's church as well. And he doesn't want it to happen anymore. You guys got to consider this. You got to listen. You got to pay attention. You got to know the Word. And when they come to you with a vision... You can go back and compare that description and say, it doesn't sound like something God would do. Matter of fact, he said something almost completely opposite to this a few, you know, a few hundred years ago. Oh, well, but, but you know, well, God can change. Like, wait a minute. No, he can't. He's unchanging. What are you talking about? That's what you get when you know the word. If you don't, whoa, dazzling. He put on a sparkly coat and he tap danced and tipped his cap and, oh, let's write him a check. It's incredible. This is no picnic for Paul. We see him pleading for relief when he talks about this thorn. Speaking of weakness, I mean, imagine just closing this. The great Paul, the founder of this church, three times I prayed to God to take the thorn from my side, and he didn't do it. Paul is so great, doing so much good work for God. And this one thing God couldn't see through for Paul, one ask, the answer was no. But was the answer no? The answer that Paul got, and this is something else, that three times I pleaded with the Lord, this is verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. Now he said to me, that's revelation from the Lord, right? I thought we weren't going to do that. Look at what's said here. My grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. That's something that the Holy Spirit, that God decided to tell Paul. Why won't you take the thorn from me? Because the thorn is necessary to make my power perfect in you. The thorn keeps you weak, Paul. Your weakness is my strength. My grace rules the day when you are incapable of doing it yourself. I'm here to tell you, church, Paul's not a bootstrapper. He's not a get it done, let's put on our work boots and we're going to go out there, we're going to take care of stuff. He's working like crazy, don't get me wrong. But it's not of him. 
Paul's good for nothing and he knows it. The only thing that's good in Paul is the work that Christ has done in Paul. And this vision is a moment right here where this tiny little thing that he says, my grace is sufficient for you. It is a wondrous statement. When you're feeling down and you're a believer and you feel like you can't get from A to B and that I can't do it anymore and I'm tired and I'm fed up and I'm angry and things are just super off the rails and I don't know what to do to fix it. Open your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and read what God said to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then think about your weaknesses and think about what God can do with those, the power that comes from them. It's the total opposite of prosperity. Oh, you're healthy and wealthy? Great, good for you. Paul's saying, oh, you're broken and and isolated and frustrated? Good for you. That's where God's power is made perfect. In that weakness, your inability to figure out what to do, your inability to affect the change you want is where God gets a chance to shine in you. And you can say to God, like Paul did, I don't want this weakness. I asked you three times. Clearly the answer from God is, that's your weakness. I'm going to use it to do something extraordinary. Let's get to work. Church, this is why we dig into the Word. If you ever wonder if we're here to feel better or whatever else, we are, but we feel better in a different way. This isn't self-help. I'm not trying to have people come in here, hear the Word, and walk out and say, you know what? I'm doing okay. God really loves me. And I know that because I'm not in any pain and I'm not suffering. That's not a good measure. It's a terrible measure. If you're in pain and you're suffering and you're doing that for Christ's behalf, there's a different sensation with that. Much different feeling for that. It's something bigger than you. Far bigger than you. Far bigger than you. Important to note here that Paul's not grandstanding. His purpose here is once again not to say, are you guys even aware of how great I am? How lucky you are to have me? That's not what Paul's saying. He has experienced God in ways others only dream. And this is the truth. But, but what Paul's trying to let them know is it's not good and happy. It isn't like Paul's in a perpetually euphoric state. You know, I just, I'm awash. The Holy Spirit surrounds me. And I feel no pain. And I have transcendent understanding of all things. That is not what is going on here. Paul is struggling from day to day. But his experience with God is much like we talk about this in our small group today. The experience of God maybe being in the lion's den and not dying, knowing you should die, being stoned and living, right? There's an experience, there's an experience there where you know that you were saved for and by God. But to do that, you're going to have to be in a place where you're going to need to be saved for and by God. Paul spent a lot of time doing that. Now, he's not telling the church, everybody pack up and go on the wilderness and start witnessing in hostile territory. It's not what he's saying. They're still young. They're still growing. They're not ready to be planting churches. They need to learn the word. They're trying, he's trying to correct their understandings, make sure they're very clear on the truth of the gospel. Sometimes the experience of God is going to be thorns that aren't removed. Sometimes it's complete dependence on grace. Now, if you're out there today and you're hearing this and you're thinking, <laughs> I don't know that I really want to experience God by having a thorn in my flesh that he won't remove. I'll tell you this, you're wrong. <laughs> you do want to experience God in that way. You do. You think you don't because the world tells us to get away from the thorns, pull the thorns, flee. Don't depend on grace. Bootstrap it. Do it yourself. Fix it up. Make it go. 
I mentioned Bruce before. Talked to him sometimes about his struggle with cancer, right? Military guy, strong, good, took care of business. Then one day something shows up that you just can't take care of. A thorn that you pray is going to be removed. Maybe he removes it. Maybe he doesn't. Doctors say, this thorn can't be removed. Okay. Then this is how I go. This is what does it. And then God chooses to remove the thorn. But if you talk to Bruce, you'll find out that the complete dependence on grace occurred before that happened. For Paul, it didn't happen. The thorns stayed. Paul's depending on grace, but God said, no, no, that thorn's necessary for you, Paul. You've not arrived where I need you to arrive. It's going to create some weakness in you. We're going to keep it there. But all of us have tails, tails just like this. And if you don't, get yourself one. Go out there and try to do some things that are difficult. Do some things that push you to the end of you. Do them for Christ and see what starts to happen. You might fall flat on your face. You likely will, especially if you're not doing it all for Christ. But if you do, get ready to see what God does in that moment. Know that your weakness is where where, where God's grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect. These are not my words. This isn't a a prosperity promise about, hey, go out and work on your weakness. No, you've got weakness. I've got them. But somehow God has miraculously decided to make his power perfect in weakness. That's where we are. Why? Why is Paul bothering with any of this, right? Simply put, these morons in Corinth won't do it for him, right? He's trying to remind them of how good he is at his job, which is not being very good, right? I am nothing. God is everything. But these guys are trying to compare themselves to me to say they're better than me. And I'm telling you, you guys should have stuck up for me. You've been there. You witnessed it. He's done wonders in their presence. He brought an apostle, a real apostle, showed up and did things, preached the word. Miracles happened. Lives were changed. But these super apostles, like Pharaoh's magicians, explained all that away. If you remember the story, right, there's an iconic moment, right, where Moses throws the staff down and turns into a snake. And the sorcerers, Pharaoh's magicians, replicate that. They make some snakes appear from sticks, right? All trickery. Well, look, we did it. And we did two. Now, Moses' snake eats the other two to clearly show that I'm the superior one. I'm no trickster. This is legitimately the power of God. But, you know, they did a good enough job that people are like, that's fair. They kind of tied it up. It's exactly what's going on here. Paul came and did stuff in Corinth. But these superpowers saying, well, technically all that they did, all he really did was this, that, or the other. The water wasn't miraculous. The sprinkling in the prayer didn't do the work. It was the antibacterial properties of that specific well, and we could prove it. I healed my, I healed my donkey, and Paul never prayed over the donkey. Oh, it is just the water, I guess. I had no idea. The things that Paul were doing, they were destroying them. That's enough. It's nothing. Paul's a nobody. He's no good. You shouldn't be following him. He's a dud. He talks a good game, but look at him. He's broken. He's busted. He, he can't even argue with us. He has to write a letter for everything. And this shatters Paul's heart. You can just read as this chapter goes on. And when we get to 13 here next week, there's a real broken heart feeling that Paul hates this so much. I don't want to do this. It's going to hurt me a lot more. It's going to hurt you. I believe that sort of thing from Paul. He has no desire to chastise these people. He loves them. He's given a lot of himself, and other churches have given a lot of themselves to make this happen. But he mentions he's coming back, and, but he says he won't be a burden. I'm, I'm not coming to collect, but to donate more myself. HSV, the Hecox Standard Version. When I come back, I'm not going to come down there to punch a car. I don't want your tithes and offerings. I don't want a love offering. I don't want any of that. I didn't take it before, and I won't take it now. 
But if you want me, I'll give you everything. I'll pour myself out. I, I love the way that he says this. I'm going to read it again. I will most, this is a 2 Corinthians 12, 15. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Whew. I tell you what, church. When you decide to do ministry, real outreach, pray that before you begin. I'm getting ready to go talk to somebody about Jesus. I will most gladly spend and be spent for their soul. I get chills thinking about that because I don't always approach ministry that way. I'm not really ready to be spent. I'll give a little bit, but I don't want to go to zero. I got other stuff to do. So I got a lot of irons in the fire. So I'll spend a little bit, but not all of it. Not Paul. Paul will go to Corinth and die for their souls. The work of Christ is bigger. Paul explains they don't have any reason to doubt. He has given them no reason to doubt. All the doubts coming from these liars. Nobody has taken anything from them except the charlatans. The super apostles have been collecting for a while now. They want the money. They want the fame. They want to be regarded as as you know, very interesting, powerful people. Not Paul. And Paul's letting him know now that he gets it. He doesn't have anything to prove to them. This was all grace for their faith. And he lets them know that he's not looking forward to finding them in disarray. He doesn't want to come and punish them. But with both parties not finding what they want, bad stuff will happen. If Paul comes and they're in disarray, then he's going to be bummed by that. And he's going to have to deal with this, this lack of repentance. If, if Paul shows up and he's not what they expect because they were expecting another super apostle to come in and, and challenge these guys and, and out-argue them and, and be kind of the warrior apostle, now they're both going to be disappointed. But I like the way Paul summarizes this. His fear is God humbling him through their failures. We've talked a lot about Paul writing to them as like a father to his children. And, and this one struck for me. This is 2 Corinthians 12, the last 21, the last verse. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and are not repentant of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. If you unpack that, how is God humbling? How is he going to humble Paul before them? Paul didn't commit any of these sins. Where Paul's being humbled is he's their spiritual father. He's invested in them. He's told them the truth. He's encouraged them. And now this? Now this? You're going to do this? God is humbling me by your terrible behavior. I did not do my job. God has shown me that I am no good at my job. If this is the best I can do, and this is what I've got, then I am terrible at this job. That's humbling to Paul. Is it bad? No. Why? Because it's going to make Paul weaker. And God's power will be made perfect in that. Paul knows he's not responsible for everybody in Corinth. He's told them the truth. But he feels a deep sadness for their state, their behavior, the fact that they, they are not understanding anything that he said. So Paul's points to ponder. Let's break it down. Four points. God's revelations are more special than we are. <clears throat> God's providence is more necessary than our desires. God's people are more frustrating than we can stand. 
And God's sovereignty is more powerful than our efforts. If that third bullet bristles you, stay tuned. <laughs> Hopefully no one just shut the stream off. Unbelievable. So first one, God's revelations are more special than we are. Paul reminds us that God grants visions. I don't want you to think that anybody that claims a vision is a liar. I, I don't know. It's God's business, not mine. Paul's, Paul's big point here is the visions don't make us special. If God granted you a vision, it's not to make more of you. It's to make more of God. It could be likely only to make more of God in your life, an encouragement to you, a challenge to you. If you think that the, 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 the I think it's beautiful, what, what God said here to Paul in verse 9 that Paul recounts is, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. That's not an attaboy necessarily in the world's eyes. That's stay broken, buddy. You're in the gutter? Cool. That's where, I'll, that's where I'm going to use you right now. Well, who wants to be in the gutter? That's not a word of encouragement. It was to Paul. My grace is sufficient. That's right. That's right. I don't need to worry about being in the gutter or in a furnace or in a lion's den or in a jail cell. I don't have to worry about any of that because my, his grace, his grace is sufficient for me. And I believe it. And moreover, where I feel like I'm really doing the worst, where I'm the least capable, my weaknesses, that's where God's power is made perfect. Paul's vision, while exceptional, he kept to himself. There was nothing of use for others in that vision, only glory for Paul. That's why he didn't share it. If he described at the beginning of this chapter what he talked about having, and he doesn't go into details, he just says, I had one. I had a vision. Yeah, big one, big time vision, real godly stuff. But I'm not going to talk about it, because if I do, you'll be wowed, and you'll think higher of me, not of God. Which is why God told me not to do it. He put a thorn in my flesh to remind me that I should be humble. I'm right where I need to be, and told me that his grace is sufficient. That's the vision he shares. <laughs> the vision he shares isn't the glorious vision of heaven, or the third heaven, or whatever. And Paul says himself, I don't know exactly what all that meant. It was incredible. It was a huge, awesome thing for me, from God. That's it. You want me to share something God gave me? How about this? God's grace is enough, and where you stink the most, God smells the best. How about that? Wait, what? Well, that's no good. Well, that's what I got. There's my vision. For, oh, let's go talk to super apostles. They probably had these incredible things about what heaven was going to be like, and chariots made of diamonds or some nonsense. Second bullet. God's providence is more necessary than our desires. Who wants a thorn in the flesh? Anybody? Any hands up? None. No surprise, right? Paul doesn't either. He prayed thrice for relief. Three times, God, I don't want this. I'm tired of this. There, I've got some thorns in my flesh. I do. I don't know that they compare to Paul's. I'm not about that. But there are things that I've prayed for God to remove from me, from my brain, from my thought pattern, my behaviors, that he has not done. I repent of them a lot. I wish they would go away. I wish I'd have no desire for that any longer. God said no, and Paul understood that was good. That was good. Because this this thorn in Paul's side is a reminder of his own weakness. The thorn in my flesh is a huge reminder of my weakness. I am undeserving of grace from God. I am undeserving of God's love. I am undeserving of Christ's sacrifice. And God said, nope, it's yours. It's free. It is finished. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it, but you've got it. Now, I could turn to other people and say, hey, I've been saved by God. I'm one of the elect. <laughs> All right. 
good news. You're in the presence of an elected individual, scripturally. Thumbs down. That's like bragging about being born. You ever hear anybody do that? Hey, I was born. I don't know if you guys knew that. Like, we're all born. Yeah, but I was like really born. It was a nice hospital and all this. Like, you had nothing to do with that. What are you bragging about? I play poker with my family, and it's amazing to me when people get a good hand of random dealt cards. are like, woo-hoo, four of a kind. Like, way to go. You sat there. You did nothing to earn it. That's what grace is like. You've been dealt a hand of eternity. I didn't earn it. There's nothing to brag about there. And Paul sees these thorns as a reminder that that's exactly right. You want me to brag? Look at the sin I can't get rid of. Look at this terrible pain that reminds me every day that I'm a broken man. Look at this cut on my arm. You know how I got that? I was killing a Christian, and the sword broke and cut me. And every day I look at that, I'm reminded of what I did. That I killed God's people. I'll brag about that. You can't brag about that. You're a murderer. I don't know what to tell you. This is, this is where Paul sits. I am worth nothing without Christ. And that is a hashtag blessing. That's what keeps drawing Paul back into the work. I don't know why, God, but I'll do it again. I don't know why, but I'll do it again. I don't know why the church size changes, but we'll stick to the course. We'll preach the word. We'll do the things. We'll do exactly what you told us to do. Nothing more, nothing less, Lord. It's yours, the ministry, the building, the church. It's all yours. It's not us. We're no good. We don't deserve it. We can't accomplish it on our own. But somehow, God, we pray that this is true. Your grace will be sufficient, and your power will be perfect in our weakness as a congregation and as Christians. That's why we're here. Not because we're good enough, but because God's fantastic. God's people are more frustrating than we can stand. There's got to be an amen out there somewhere. You may not have said that loud, I don't blame you, right? I love the church. I'm talking about the church, God's, Jesus' church, his bride, but the church can make you nuts. We will want to give up. Just ask a pastor. Things happen in churches that just make you want to pull your hair out. Mike's been here longer than me. He'd have the same haircut I do, if not for all this time in the church. I'm kidding. That's not true. But the reality is it's a stressful thing when you care for a flock of people that you have heard and seen and believed know who Christ is, making decisions that seem counter-biblical. They're not consulting. They're not sharpening each other up. They're, just, they're, they're living life. They're getting blown around in the wind. You're like, come on, guys. I'm starting to sound like Paul around here. What are you doing? What are we doing? But God, but God, but God, every hour, every day, another conviction, another reminder, another encouragement from the, from, a, from the body, another passage you read, and it seems like, my gosh, Paul put up with an awful lot. I'm not putting up with anywhere near this kind of frustration. I'm going to stick with the church. We said we're in this together. I don't see indications that we're not. Nothing here seems outside the Bible. Maybe I'm a little bit annoyed. Maybe I don't like this. Maybe I don't like that. But that's okay. That's going to be, have to be okay because the work for Christ is more important and this seems like it's working for Christ and I want to be in the middle of it. And I'm going to take the good with the bad and we're going to work on that and we're going to communicate we're going to grow as a family. It's hard. Church life and family life is very similar. Anybody here had friends that they've had to part ways with? Something goes wrong in your life. You just can't. I can't do it anymore, right? I'm in a different place than you. You're making decisions. I love you. I care for you. I'll be praying for you, but I, I can't do it. I just, we're going to have to, we're going to have to go different ways. Okay. This happens quite a bit. It's part of growing up, growing older. Has anybody ever done that with your family? And I'm not talking about we don't speak very much because we see things, but we're no longer family. 
I've removed you from my bloodline. I've done something in the court of law to make sure that I'm not related to you any further. Anyone ever heard of that? I don't think you can do it. I can be emancipated from my parents, but I can't unsun myself. There's no way to do it. I'm always related to them. It's in the blood. That is what church is supposed to be. That, if you don't get that, you'll never really understand why Paul seems so brokenhearted. These are his kids. They are babies. They were born again in his presence. I saw Emma get born. It changes you. When your kids are born, it changes you. There's a connection there that's ultra deep. I chose my wife. I love my wife. I've committed to that. There was no choice there. I didn't build Emma. She didn't choose us. God assigned that. That's, it's a weird thing. That's how Paul feels. He's not going to abandon them. You guys have screwed it up for the last time. I'm leaving the church. I'm done with Corinth. Those are my kids. They're driving me up a wall, but they're my kids. You'll want to give up. Just ask a pastor. It's true. I bet you can't. I mean, unless they're a liar and they're false teacher alert. But if they, a pastor says, oh, I've never, ever been annoyed with anybody in my congregation insofar as I would ever want them to leave, uh, they're lying through their teeth. Of course you have. I've been driven up a wall by Emma before. We're just like, gosh, if only this could be different. I wish I could just go. But you don't because you say, well, you know, I've committed to this. That's what church is supposed to be. That's where Paul is. That's what we want here. I want people to see me not as their spiritual father. It's different in that regard. I didn't plant this church and bring Christianity to Martinsville. But as a family, as a, as a group of people, and you know, as an elder and a teacher, that I want for this church the best for this church. But the best may not be good times and happy times and a whole bunch of people high-fiving that God's good in their life. It might be, let's figure out how we can go out here and suffer together. right? Let's go, let's go out and have people throw rocks at us for Christ's sake. I don't know if I want to sign up for that. Ask a parent. Ask a parent how many times they've had to be stoned for their kids. And it's hurt. And they've prayed that they would die, but they didn't. And here they are. And they're thankful to do it. And they'll do it again. Didn't that hurt? It did. You're going to do it again? I will. If not me, who? If the parents of the kids won't even stand in in lieu and, and take the slings and arrows for the kids, who's going to do it? That's what we have to do as a church. God's sovereignty is more powerful than our efforts. Paul wants them to act right. Make no mistake. This is all designed for them to understand who God is, what God wants from them, and what they, can, what they should be doing. If they don't, Paul sees it as an abject failure. False. He does not see it as an abject failure. God may humble me before you. If you screw it up for Paul, okay. I don't have control over your, your decisions. You know the truth. But if you don't, I'm telling you, It's not just that I'm embarrassed. I am humbled before God. Lord, I am sorry I failed you. I'm sorry. I should have done better. I know I'm not doing it well enough, clearly, or they wouldn't have done this, right? Paul knows what God, that God will take Paul's efforts, win or use, and use it for Paul's good. Paul doesn't mind being humbled, right? He's going to stand before God and say, God, I blew it. I'm sorry, I wasn't a better father for these guys. And Paul, and, and you know, who's to say what God would tell Paul? I don't know, right? Other than probably, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Don't think that's pretty smart. If you haven't been paying attention, that's 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul welcomes humility. Humble me. Humble me, God. I look at you, and if I show up and you're not acting the way that you know you're supposed to act, I told you to act, so be it, I'll be humbled. That's okay. 
That's not abject failure. That's God honing me yet again. He's going to do something extraordinary for me. Like I'll write a letter. Maybe that letter will become canon in scripture. It'll change lives for the next 2,000 years maybe. I don't know. Guess what? It's exactly what happened. Paul's weakness in writing this letter and being honest about his failures and his fears has become for us scripture. God's power, God's word made perfect in Paul's weakness. It's pretty difficult to write down your failures on paper and admit them to the people that you feel like you failed. Paul did. Pretty weak. Here we are. God's power being made perfect. What about us? Take what God gives you and use it wisely for his glory. You get visions, you get understandings, clarity comes from the Holy Spirit. Don't brag about that. Don't make it about you. Make it about God. I read this, I saw it a certain way. I checked a couple of commentaries. It seems non-heretical. This is awesome. Listen to this, guys. Listen to how good God is. Bing, bang, bing, boom. Ooh, whoa, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, me and this other, you know, other theologians over the last 2,000 years have come up with this, but I never heard that. I never thought about it that way. It's changed my view of this. Great. That's why I love small groups. <clears throat> Pray for suffering to relent. I'm not saying just let's take what we get and don't get upset. That's not necessarily the case. God's listening. He does listen. And he cares about us being satisfied in him. Pray for suffering to relent. If there's something that's in, the, in, in your way causing you pain, pray for it to relent. But if it doesn't, count it as gain and glory. Know that nothing is going to thwart the work of God. No matter how bad it seems to you, count it as gain and glory. Gain for you somehow miraculously and glory for God somehow miraculously. Pray for the church and don't give up. There are people that are going to hear this that have left churches, left our church, and are going to think I'm talking about them. I'm not. I'm not talking about them. There's nobody I have in mind when I talk about this kind of stuff. But the truth of Scripture is, is loud, like a clanging gong here, that our churches, when we join a church and we commit to a church, it needs to be bigger than I like what's happening here and I'm going to try it out for a couple years. You would never do this in a family. Hopefully no one would ever adopt a kid and say, I'm adopting you and we're, we're going to be a family. For a couple of years, we'll see how it plays out. And if not, we'll unadopt you and you're no longer affiliated with us because you made so many bad decisions or didn't do things the way we liked it. It's heartbreaking stuff. Paul doesn't do it and we shouldn't either. And finally, know that God is in control at all times in every way. The good, the bad, the thorns, the peace, the, the joys. All that, God is in control at all times and in every way. I have to say, God's never caught up shuffling papers trying to figure out, wait a minute, he did what? Oh, he said, what? Oh, I wasn't ready for that. Hold on, let me get my, my stuff. That's never, ever the case. We're not going to have a time of invitation today. Um, they never have a good way to play music. So we're just going to, I'm going to pray and the service is going to be over. But if you want to talk or if you'd like to uh, pray together or whatever, please come up. I'll hang around up here while the music's playing. If not, feel free to go. It's okay. And if you're watching online, you're like, man, I've got tons of questions, or I disagree, or what have you, uh, you can always contact us through the Facebook page, or shoot us an email, office at calvaryheights.org, and somebody will get back to you as soon as possible. We certainly want to make sure that everything's clear as a bell, as much as we can make it when it comes to these these very challenging messages. These are not supposed to be messages of condemnation, but rather messages of encouragement. So uh, we'll pray, we'll be done for the day, you'll be dismissed as soon as I'm done praying. And um, as, as usual, it's just been tremendous. Uh, uh, time together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you very much for this time together. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenges that your word contains and the encouragement that it contains simultaneously, Lord. 
Um, I'm thankful for time that we get to spend together, but I'm most thankful for when we get to spend that time together studying about you, who you are, and uh, what you have done, Lord. And it's extraordinary stuff. The, the Bible is mind-blowing. Every other verse, it seems like, is, uh, is, a, is a revelation in and of itself, Lord, and I'm encouraged by that, Lord. And I pray that if someone's heard the message today and they found it off-putting or they maybe felt attacked or that I was calling somebody out or something on those lines, Lord, uh, Lord, lead them to reach out to us so we can obviously mend any fences that need mending. Uh, but more than that, Lord, to, to let them know that, that we want nothing for them but to know you better. Um, never want to tear anything down. We, we desire to build up. And we certainly never want to uh, become super apostles, Lord, where we are, we're decreeing things and putting down other works of work or workers uh, to make ourselves look better, Lord. Our goal here is to glorify you and you alone, Lord, with the, the fundamental truth of what your son did on that cross and how we can be saved forever by belief alone in him. Thank you for this time together, Tony Sons, and I pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody.